Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are now certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our best lives by telling one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Hi, everyone. This week on the podcast, we have the lovely Mia Lux. Mia is an international host comedian and facilitator, and she specializes in top wellness and personal development events around the world. She is also the creator and host of The Conscious-ish Show, where she is making it her mission one episode at a time to make the world's most powerful ideas more accessible by making them truly enjoyable. If you're laughing, you're learning. On this episode, we discuss Mia's spiritual, mental, and physical health journey from combating teenage depression to dealing with a lead poisoning diagnosis as an adult. We hear about her fascinating story from being a recovering lawyer to a school teacher and eventually to getting outside of her comfort zone and finding comedy as her creative outlet. She takes us through the science behind laughter and how entertainment can really be a tool for people to open their minds, relax their bodies, and absorb new information. Mia has a fun and fresh approach to tackling what can often feel like daunting subject matters. We had such a fun time recording with her, and we hope you have fun listening to all of her insight in this episode. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee, and even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout, and there's also a direct link in our show notes. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, um, as you know, we have all our guests tell a little bit about their personal background and to their own journey towards health and wellness and what that means for them. So, if you wouldn't mind starting by sharing a little bit about your story. I know you went through lead poisoning at one point, um, and then sort of the trajectory into how it's kind of affected your life up into this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, journey is the right word. I think everyone who's gone through any kind of 
personal health crisis, you know, it, it, it does feel like you're on an odyssey, you know. Uh, and for me, it actually started quite young. When I was 16, I had very, very severe depression. I left high school very early, went to university. Everything was technically great, but, you know, just had this unbelievable kind of mental health crisis. And, you know, grew up in a paradigm. I, I grew up in New Zealand with, you know, amazing parents. But none of us ever were given sort of the strategy or the tools or a framework to understand personal well-being or spirituality. Uh, we weren't religious. We didn't have any kind of... Um, context for like what are we doing here what is the meaning of life and so when i hit 16 i was like wait like i just gotta do this for the rest of my life like it's just gonna be study work and i just i just really had a um it was a big schism for me and at that point someone handed me a book called the power of now by Eckhart Tolle, <laughs> which is like a super intense book to give someone who's never done any spiritual work but i i literally i read that book and i was like mind blown just and it, it opened a pathway to me, um, it, you know, to go to really understand that there's another way of being, mm. you know. And, and, so, and then I really got into stuff like I did Vipassana. I, did, mm. I tried different types of meditation. I was far more interested in the, in the inner world than I ever had been, which was really, really great because it set me up. Because when, you know, I became a lawyer and, you know, practicing as a litigator, it's a world fueled with, you know, alcohol, uh, you know, sleeping pills, everyone's divorced, depressed. And, and, and so within a couple of years, I had the insight to be like, this is a bad choice mm. and to move on from that. Um, but, you know, I, I became a high school teacher after that. I was really passionate about, you know, trying to trying to create some kind of pattern interrupt in other people's lives, recognizing that most of us were on autopilot. You know, you look around. Yes. Yeah. That feeling of like, how, like I, that feeling of being woken up or put onto a path and then seeing everyone else on autopilot and wanting to shake people and be like, there's another way. Yeah. And so I thought high school would be a great age to do that where you're questioning your parents. But I burned myself out so hard. You know, I was teaching kids with learning and behavioral difficulties and working 18 hours a day, just trying to make all my own resources. And so the first thing that happened was I got a very, very severe adrenal fatigue. Okay. Bedridden, like just gone out. Wow. And, uh, you know, and you guys know it's like when you're knocked down by something, like it totally sideswipes you and you keep trying to get up. You're like, I can do it. Uh, it, it really, it really took a, my ego took a huge knock. Mm. I, I felt like a total failure. I had to quit my job and I was just lying in bed feeling completely useless. Like I'd let down all my kids, like just feeling like absolute, you know, just rubbish. And, um, and that was really the beginning where I was like, okay, if your body isn't good like if you are not taking care of the physical vessel from which you are like participating in this existence you can't do anything yeah it's true it's you know and so that was like it took me um i was so lucky i had help uh my my boyfriend at the time who's now one of my best friends he was kind of like a functional medicine doctor before we knew what functional medicine was and he really was like i think you have this thing called adrenal fatigue wow. and i told my other doctors they're like that's not a thing there's no such thing as adrenal fatigue. I was like, are you sure? Right. And so we started a, a, a regimen. I got totally kicked sugar, totally kicked gluten, did all these like, you know, the supportive herbs and supplements. Mm -hmm. And like within about three months, I was like back to normal, you know. That's pretty, that's pretty quick. And Yes. And, but you know, it's also interesting. And I like to, you know, I, I like to focus on this sometimes when people talk about this, especially when they go perhaps a more holistic route for healing whatever it is that they may be suffering from. It's also not something that's overnight, right? So three months in the grand scheme of things feels fast, but when you're in it, it doesn't. 
it, it feels like the slowest thing in the world. And, and you know, what's, what's really distressing to me is that, you know, a lot of the issues we have, like people are facing, so whether it's depression, mm. you know, chronic fatigue, adrenal failure, like all this stuff overlaps. Mm. And sometimes it's really hard to pinpoint the cause. And so like, I know it's like when you feel really depressed and you can't get out of bed. Yeah. And you wake up in the morning and you just go, I just, there's just nothing in me. Yeah. I've got nothing to give today. And trying to figure out like, is that a psychological issue? Like, is there something I need to fix in my life? Or is it a physiological issue? Mm. Or is it both? And right. it can just, and then like, and I don't care and I'm too tired to figure it out. And yeah. those are like, those are sometimes the majority of the days for the first six weeks. Mm -hmm. And it feels like you, you're failing and, and you're right. Like, it's not like you start taking a few pills and you're like, zippity doo yeah. It's a, it is a journey. Right. Mm -hmm. So after that three months month period, you're feeling better. Mm -hmm. What what did you learn from that, or w what sort of trajectory did that that put you on? That that made me radically self accountable for my physical well being. Mm -hmm. I think when I was depressed when I was sixteen, uh, made me radically accountable for my mental well being. Mm -hmm. uh, that really, I learned a lot about like cognitive behavioral therapy. Really mm -hmm. learned that you know when you get trapped into these kind of um, you get trapped into that dynamic of, you know, everything is terrible. Uh, there's nothing I can do about it. It's always going to be like this. Mm. And when you believe those three things, there's no way out of the depression. And so learning how to, how to tweak that to have more nuance, be like, well, okay, everything sucks, but there's actually, there is something I can do about it. Yeah. Or everything sucks, I can't do anything about it, but it's not going to last forever. And if you can just shift one of those things. You know, so I really learned how to work with the mind. I became obsessive in terms of learning about it. I'm obsessed with like psychology, learning theory. I just, I love understanding how our minds work and how we can impact our body and brains with our minds. But when you get knocked down physically, yeah. it's, it's actually, it's humbling because you start to realize that, you know, we are, I, I was always very self-identified with my mind and my brain. Mm -hmm. And when I start to realize what a dramatic impact our bodies have mm -hmm. on our mind and our brain, yeah. it was very humbling and realizing that like that. So for me going forward, I was so much more conscious about taking care about my body, learning about food. I, had to, I mean, I tell you, I tell you a story. Like I, I, you know, we joke about sugar addiction, but I, I, during my teenage years, I ate just candy bars and I drank just energy drinks and fast food, and I just I lived off the worst food. And then as a lawyer and as a high school teacher, it's like coffee, candy, coffee, candy, sugar, caffeine. That was my life, right? We push through, we drive it, and when I. I used to hide candy at a hole I cut in the bottom of my couch and I would hide this massive bag of sugary, just like pressed sugar candy and eat it secretly. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night, drive away from my boyfriend, sneak out, go to the gas station, buy like four candy bars, yeah. binge them. Yeah. Like crazy, crazy, like crack addict yeah. behavior, right? I had to create a star chart. You know, you put a star each day in the public space, do a commitment ceremony. It took me 90 days to break my sugar habit. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. It was, the, it was like, I've, I've done a lot of hard things. That was so hard because it's biologically addictive. Wow. Are you, and are you still off sugar now? Yeah. So now I'm like, and like I, I, I relapse, but <laughs> never, how I manage it is like I eat really dark chocolate. Mm. I, have, I have what I call like my healthy mm. cheats. So if I'm breaking, I'll go have like, like Hugh Kitchen has like amazing dark chocolate. Yeah. Like I'll have some in the kitchen. So I'm not going to go down the road and buy like a Milky Way. Right. Yes. Which, you know, which is all like nerds, which is where I'm going or cream egg. Like that's, if I go into the CVS pharmacy and I'm not taking care of myself, I can feel it be like, <laughs> you know, and so, um, 
So that was part of the adrenal fatigue, fixing that. And then that just taught me like your diet, how you take care of your body. Like this is everything. Yeah, it's so, it's so hard, right? Because like you were saying, your childhood, you're 16. I, when you were saying this, I remembered, I recently, um, I went to my old high school recently, so randomly, but uh, I went up to the PE area and I was like, oh, there used to be vending machines yeah. with um, this fruit juice soda called Fruitopia. I don't know if anyone remembers that. I mean, I was in like, it was the early 2000s, but it was basically like a fruit juice drink that was basically soda and, and in a vending machine. And I was like, we, I just had this flashback to, oh my gosh, we used to drink that probably every day after PE. How awful, right? But, but the, it had fruit in it. It's exactly. healthy. <laughs> but, but this is why, like you're saying, the sugar addiction and then the subsequent depression or illness or ADHD, right? That starts when we're young and then continues to affect us as we're an adult. Like maybe we don't have a Frappuccino anymore, but we still have like 80 cups of coffee and like cookies and croissants or whatever when we're at work. It's the evolution of the sugar addiction. I think is really real. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you also too, you know, you mentioned you had lead poisoning as well. When in your journey yeah. did that come up? So I used to be a pistol instructor. So I was a I, I, and the the gun range that I worked in, well, it wasn't, we were part of a club, it was indoor. And so an indoor range is only even remotely safe if it has amazing ventilation. Because when you fire a gun, the lead from the bullet aerosolizes. So you just breathe it straight in. And the type of shooting that I was teaching is called IPSC, where you, you're, you're shooting kind of in movement. So you shoot, you move, you shoot, you move. So what happens is you're always moving through the plume of lead. And when you're teaching, you're standing right next to them. And so I was just mega dosing lead. I was just breathing it in like three times a week, like, and actually a lot of special forces people have the same issue, a lot of um, lead poisoning, mercury poisoning, because they're also exposed to so much through through shooting, um, through explosives tests indoors. Um, and of course, you know, lead testing, <laughs> they test your blood, but that's not where the lead is. It's only yeah. recent exposure. So when you when I finally finally went and did a challenge test which is when you know you, you get the dmsa and it pulls it out of your bone and your tissues with a lead hides it shows you your true lead content because okay. most lead stores and, and it stores in a way where it displaces all the positive kind of metal like all your your zinc and your you know magnesium the lead goes and kicks that out and just sits there in your in your bones and your tissues and it's nasty and uh so when i did the test i, ha I had I had, I had lead so high that everyone was like, we don't know what to do because it's, it's like, it's, 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 it's literally cannot show it on the test. Right. Wow. And then of course you go, okay, well, how do you, how do you get rid of it? Like everybody, like when you find your problem, it comes up, okay, let's fix it. And the body is such a complex thing. Something I've really learned to appreciate now is that this is why having, finding someone who does have a coherent model of the, of the body and who can help you is so important. When I started detoxing, I started doing fire infrared saunas. I started taking, um, you know, small doses of, of DMSA to pull it out. But I have a I have a genetic variation where I don't detox, so I don't produce my own glutathione. So it's okay. very hard for my body to push toxins out. So what I was doing was pulling out all of the lead into my system, into my brain, and it couldn't get out. Wow. And that's how. So I, I triple poisoned myself. <laughs> oh my so, God. so like if I the, the the passive lead exposure from the guns probably would have only affected me in another 10, 15 years. But because I did that, I had a full, full breakdown. So I had a, like, I was living in San Francisco at the time. 
uh, just my whole gut went and then I, my whole brain went. So I couldn't even complete a thought in my head. And because I was in San Francisco, you know, I don't want to tell anybody. And so what I, because I couldn't think in my head, I used to put in a headphone and pretend I was like talking to somebody, like walking around the city. But I was really talking out loud so I could think and try to do my work. And, um, and then eventually, because I just, I didn't want to deal with it because it was so scary. I was walking one day and then I just fell over. Like my brain and my body disconnected. And I was, par- I was like paralyzed for a moment. I was like in my body, like lying on the sidewalk, but I couldn't move anything. And... And that's when I was like, okay, like something's, something's, wrong. something's very wrong. I can't, I can't play pretensies anymore. Um, and, you know, heavy metal poisoning is one of those things that, you know, a lot more people have it than they realize. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it can cause so many different kinds of issues that then go like improperly diagnosed. Like a lot of people with like, like cognitive issues, like Alzheimer's and dementia, like a lot of it stems from like yeah. severe poisoning that just, yeah, like just... But most doctors, you know, don't know how to test for it, aren't looking for it, certainly don't know how to treat it. And so you get all these kind of further down the line. I'm, I'm not, I'm 100% sure that if I had not had that kind of very acute breakdown early, um, I would have ended up with some severe chronic issue down the line. Wow. Wow. I, I have I have so many thoughts. I'm like, which one do I want to say first? Um, yeah. First, I'm going to start first with, you know, detoxing is really buzzy right right now. Um, at juice stores in Los Angeles, they have heavy metal detox juice. Sauna bars are everywhere, right? There's all this detox. So when you said your body actually couldn't detox, so the detoxing made you sicker, how did you learn that? And how do people discover that? Because I'm sure so many people are drinking those juices and going to saunas totally. and potentially could be making themselves sick I know it's like it's like the ironic thing of like the more you know about health the more you go oh it's really complicated yes and, and here's and here's what's a bit trippy is that the genetic variation I have isn't that rare and the reason why how, like why did we evolve and survive with this well because our environments weren't that toxic before right but now we're in these like right. super hyper toxic environments so if you have a if you have a um an inability to detox you know, like a lot of kids who have like autism have this variation. It's very hard for them to detox. It leads to cognitive issues. Like there's really fascinating correlations like that. It doesn't mean it's a cause, but it's certainly a correlation. Um, and I'm not a doctor. I'm a comedian. So let's, yeah. let's also, let's we'll just, let's also just make sure we, we, we qualify that. Um, but, you know, that how I found out was just hardcore gangster genetic testing. Like I was lucky. I ended up with a physician in um, Arizona who is amazing. She's a naturopathic doctor and there they can do everything. And um, she really like, she looked at me, was like, holy moly, like what is happening to this person? And she did everything from like, you know, she, she figured out all my genetic panels, did all my stool samples, like very, very, very comprehensive testing to see Mm -hmm. like where are the major imbalances in my system hormones, I mean, everything. And um, when she did the genetic panel, she saw like, oh, you've, you've got a bunged up detox pathway and I had methylation issues. And so once she started giving me IV glutathione, glutathione was the thing I can't produce and it's a huge detoxing agent. Once she started giving me regular glutathione, it like it was so much better. Like it just started clearing everything out. And she's like, she says with her patients, if they come in with any kind of poisoning or even Lyme disease, anything that's a real attack on the system, the first thing she does is make sure that all the detox pathways are clear. She builds up the body to be strong enough mm-hmm. before she ever does any kind of detox, any kind of elimination. Because if you go for that and your body is compromised, 
take it from me. It's not a fun time. You yeah. Know? It's not going to work. No. Essentially. And you're like, why do I feel worse? Yeah. Like, so from that moment on the street in San Francisco, uh, what was the process of, you know, you, you realized something was wrong, mm-hmm. but did you think I need to, did you just go on like a great search for the right person the right physician like how did you find yeah how did you find your resources because I think a lot of people even if they were feeling that way wouldn't even know yeah where's the first place to start I hear you you know this is and this is where I go this is where I just thank my lucky stars that for whatever reason I my whole life I've been surrounded by healers so you know my ex-boyfriend who was an amazing healer sort of functional medicine doctor and then um, the physician who I ended up working with ended up being my my father's wife. Wow. Now they've got married, so it was a weird thing where like I met her at a conference, one of the conferences I hosted, and she was there as an attendee, um, and we'd spoken about the work she does, and she's a clinic out there, and you know I just she's an incredible, incredible healer, and I just had that instinct of like I don't know who else to go to, and so I you know there was I I mean ex- I was in the exact same position as I think everyone finds themselves, whereas like I don't know. I have no idea. So I, I was lucky the people that I happened to know were just f- unbelievable. Yeah. And it's actually why I get so mad and frustrated at the system because, because people have preventable illnesses that ruin their lives. And if they just had some information, they could change the whole situation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can relate to this so much. I haven't had an instance where I've gotten very ill, but I, I recently did some genetic testing with an amazing um, healer, nutritionist, just person, home in Los Angeles, and I found out I have trouble methylizing nice. estrogen. And, um, Me too. Yeah, <laughs> and like all this stuff, right, that made so much sense for my health. And um, I found out, I was like, why isn't this, readily available like I had to really seek this out and it made me same and I talked to Ali so much about it. I was like I'm so angry because they actually have so many tools the medical community has so many tools that should be accessible to the mass public and it just isn't and it made me so angry when she was even telling me some of this treatment for hormones and different things has been around since like the early 2000s but insurance doesn't cover it and so this is like a tangent but I really relate and understand and I'm so happy that you're sharing this frustration because it is really frustrating that's why the internet rocks yeah what you your podcast is a great example of people being like this sucks no one's telling us what to do we'll do it Exactly. And I think also, in, and this is sort of a topic for another day, but Erica and I often talk about the frustration that, you know, you happen to be fortunate enough to be surrounded by resource, people who were resources to you and have access to that. But like the majority of people on this planet in this country do not. And that infuriates me. And, you know, it's like <sighs> when you think about the big picture, sometimes it's overwhelming. Um, and we can talk about this because I know you deal with some of these topics with conscious-ish too. Some of these like big, how do we fix the systems that are broken? <laughs> and it feels like, whoa, I don't even know what the first step or if I can take a step in my own life um, to better that. But if we can at least say you know, to people listening that being your own advocate for your own health is like the number one step, I think. Totally. And I think what helps, like what really helped me get there, because often we've brought up to have a difference for doctors, you know, quite rightly, because, you know, it's hard work and they're smart people. But it's really great to understand the model that you're working with. And especially in America, 
you're working within a, a profit model mm-hmm. and a pharmaceutical model. So even though doctors, are, like the actual people, doctors, are really good people who yeah. do want to help. It's I don't blame doctors. It's not, but you're, you're they're set up in a system where they're set up to fail, and so are you as a patient. And so when you get that, when you go see a doctor, your doctors have not been given the tools. Your doctors, you know, post post degree training is all pharmaceutical funded. You know, your doctors, even with all their best intentions, uh, are no longer in a position of having the correct information. And so you, we don't have to get. You know, even though it's frustrating, like I'm always like, never get mad at your doctor. Like it's not your doctor's fault. Your doctor is just trying his best or her best within the context. But when you get that, it's broken. You have no choice. You're like, it's not even about being a badass. It's not even about being a difficult person. It's just functional. Like you literally have to be like, okay, the internet knows best now. Like it's the funniest <laughs> thing, but it's like it does. You know, although never Google your symptoms. Yeah. We all agree on that. Don't Google <laughs> your symptoms. <laughs> Or should I say, don't Google image search things, oh, too. Never. That's I'm the like, worst. Never image search. So scared. <laughs> never. And so it, is this, right, like this whole experience you had, which is incredibly life-changing, right? Now you're – is this how – how did it then lead, right, to using comedy to bridge this gap in wellness and health? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, the comedy thing started when I had the adrenal fatigue, because I, you know, everything, so physical mm-hmm. and emotional, you know, they're they're wound up. I was like, why did I get adrenal fatigue? I'm eating all the sugar. I'm like, why am I eating all the sugar? And like, what was this behavior? And and why did it get so bad when I was a high school teacher? And I realized, like, when I was a high school teacher, I always felt like I was failing because even though I, I was kicking ass, I was like doing such a great job as a teacher. You know, I'm dealing with teenagers. Yeah. And so no te- teenagers never turn around the end of a class and go, thank you. That was enlightening. I will, you know, even if you've moved them to tears, the yeah. bell rings and they're like, bye, bye. out, <laughs> you know. And so, and also I didn't see immediate change of a night. I'm an overachiever. I'm used to like crushing it all, like super A type, boom, boom, boom. And so when I didn't see like their lives, you know, and a lot of these kids came from very traumatized homes. It was, you know, very, you know, I, we had knife fights and I got punched twice. It was like hardcore, you know. And when I didn't see it changing overnight, I was like, I'm failing these kids. Mm. I'm failing. I'm failing. I'm failing. And so that mental loop of constantly feeling in physical stress was a huge contributor to the adrenal fatigue. And so then I said to myself, okay, I have to learn how to fail because this is a serious issue. And I was like, what's the best way to learn how to fail? Stand-up comedy. <laughs> because stand-up comedy even if you're the best comedian in the world, like 20% of people like you, right? right? And when you're starting comedy, you're getting up in front of people, doing what most people hate doing, which is public speaking. And you're doing public speaking on crack because you're also saying like, I'm going to be funny. And most of your experience as a comedian is standing up in front of people and just feeling a type of rejection (laughs) because it's not landing, it's not working. And there's no other possible way to survive doing it than to learn how to separate your sense of worth and sense of self from what you're doing. So I used to be like, oh, I did something and people liked it. I'm great. Or I did something people didn't like it. I'm terrible. And so stand-up taught me to be like, oh, I did something great. Something about it worked. Or that didn't work. Oh, something about it needs to be fixed versus a personal judgment on myself. So that's where it came from. So it came from from like my my geekdom of psychology where I'm always looking to like, I've always sought to like, press against my fears and learn and grow in that way and then I was like this is actually this is actually really fun I was like this is highly <laughs> addictive 
it's it's incredible as a personal growth journey. I always rec- I always make my friends come do an open mic just as an experience. Um, and then, of course, I, I actually ended up hosting for the last five years. I've been building and hosting these sort of big personal growth conferences around the world. And, you know, I also I ran a film studio in L.A. where we had like 60 different coaches come through and stay. So I've had like a huge exposure in the personal growth wellness world, mm-hmm. working with top teachers and speakers and seeing behind the scenes and just being like um, just immersed and learning by osmosis. And what I noticed was that personal growth and wellness tends to be very sincere. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and quite rightly, like if you're a Tolle or whatever, like you don't need to be cracking jokes. Like you do <laughs> you, right? Yeah. The trouble is, like the way I see it is that um, it only reaches the people who are then really already looking for it. Mm. And we're running out of time. We're, we're kind of at a point like, I, like I, I know you guys have the same philosophy of that. You know, y- if you want if you really want to save the world it's it's one person at a time yes like we're creating we're creating world peace through inner peace it's yes. really there's no other way yeah. if there's dysfunction inside you're going to create it on the outside over yeah. and over your and over environment again. reflects every time yeah you know so we we're not saving anybody until we save ourselves yes until we fix first world problems we're not fixing global problems yeah. and uh, you're talking about a world 300 million people depressed someone commits suicide every 30 40 seconds yeah. more people in america commit suicide than are killed in traffic accidents like we got a problem, right? Yeah, it's a mental health crisis, and 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 it's a it's a spiritual and a meaning crisis too. So you've got that context, and then you've got all this amazing information that's not really finding home because it's kind of inaccessible, mm-hmm. and and it's built for people who are already looking for it. And the truth is, like we live in a country in America now where we don't know how to talk across ideologies. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to. You know, we don't know how to talk to people who are different from us. And, you know, we know, f- like, psychologically, like, there's a cognitive bias. There's two. Cognitive bias. One is, like, the, you know, the confirmation bias, where you only are going to seek information that confirms what you already believe. And right. we do this. We're in the personal growth world. Like, we just, everybody's amazing. Yeah. We, we just, <laughs> we, like, look at your Facebook feed. Like, yeah. our Facebook feeds reflect what we believe. Right. And we search it, like it, find it. We, we curate it, whether we know it or not, that way. And so does everybody else. And then the other side of it is that, you know, if we have a strongly held belief, you know, we, we try, like, let's say across, you know, Democrat, Republican, we're trying to talk to each other using facts. Here's why you're wrong. Here's an accurate information. But, like, th- there's a university, I think it's the University of Southern California, they have, like, a Brain and Creativity Institute. They put people into an MRI scanner to track their brain. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, th- with each person they put in there, they, uh, they sort of identified some core beliefs, like... Um, you know, guns should be restricted or shouldn't be restricted. Uh, gay marriage should be illegal or not illegal, whatever. Something that they felt really strongly about. And then they presented them with accurate information that goes against that belief. And what they found was the brain treats an intellectual threat the same way it treats a physical threat, straight to the amygdala. Wow. So what happens is that when someone has a core belief that gets attacked through just a nicely presented fact that entrenches the person's belief they find that people you know they found like with um they'd, they'd find that people's favorite political candidates and then present them with inac- with accurate but oppositional information and the person's uh the person's sort of favor towards them increased so this that makes the, a lot of sense yeah, it's called about the backfire lot, effect yeah it's called the on. backfire effect and so what happens is like we're talking across boundaries like this not yes. realizing we're just widening the gap so how do you how do you have a conversation across lines? How do you or how do you even say to someone like, "Hey, I think you're really not so strong in this area of your life" without them getting defensive? You make them laugh. Because laughter 
like there's a, there's a study of the physiology of laughter. It's called gelatology, and they study this. Like, what does laughter do to the body? Primarily, it gets you out of a stress response. So it lowers your cortisol. It lowers your adrenaline. Like mm-hmm. it switches you into a happy mode. It increases endorphins uh, because laughing is social signaling. Right. It's like you watch chim- chimpanzees laugh, and they laugh to show that um, like they're play fighting. It looks the same as attacking each other, but they make a different noise, which is a laughing noise. We're playing. This is fun. This is safe. We're together. We're a tribe. And human do, humans do it the same. Mm-hmm. Like 90% of laughter has nothing to do with a joke or anything being funny. We're just like, I like you. I'm safe. I'm connected to you. Yeah. Right. So when you get people laughing, it completely changes the chemistry of their brains. It makes them feel connected to anyone that they're with or they're laughing with. It makes them more open and receptive to ideas. So you can get people to hear an idea or mm. respond to an idea so much more powerfully than if you if you gave it to them. I would say like laughing is more effective than lecturing. Mm. And so why I wanted to create, you know, the conscious is show and you know it's it's modeled off the late night shows, so it's monologues, it's comedy, it's interviews. But instead of like a 24-hour news gossip cycle, it's, it's you know, it's the human experience. Right. It's romance and sex. It's, it's mental health. It's, you know, living an extraordinary life. And, uh, and the reason why is because I'm convinced that we can reach more people if we use entertainment as the delivery mechanism for the content. That's, that's a really long explanation. No, that's but amazing. That's it. <laughs> it's amazing. We actually had, we had a conversation the other day about... Um, bridging that divide right bridging that gap because it's only through the ability to really dialogue with people but if you don't set what you're basically saying is if you don't set the the body or the mind up or the or the environment up where people are even physically capable of having that you're going to have the opposite here's a good analogy like if you're you know if you're with your your partner and you have a fight and you have a fight and you get that bad feeling in your body. You're like, me, 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 me. Right. And even if you resolve it intellectually, like, okay, fine. But you still have that feeling. Like, how hard is it to really have a rational conversation with your partner then? Like, you're trying to fix it and solve it. But because you both feel amped up, you're adrenaline, you're angry, whatever, it's very hard to have that conversation. Yeah. If you go away, take some time and, like, get yourself back into a relaxed state, come back, you know, in a more connected way, you solve it in two minutes. Yeah. And so you're asking people who, you know, who the moment they start talking rationally to each other, feel that feeling. You think that dialoguing is going to help. It's not. Mm-hmm. Dialoguing is going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. The backfire effect is literally going to make everyone hate each other more and feel completely like they're more right and you're more wrong. But if you like you go to a stand up club, there's a really unique phenomenon I love, which is like you get a group of strangers from who knows where sit, sit together. It's super awkward. And then um, they laugh all night together. And by the end of the night, everyone feels like they're friends. Mm-hmm. Everyone feels like they know each other. It's like a shared experience. The brains have all lit up. It's created this kind of like bonding, connective experience. And so I always wonder, like, imagine if you had a, a dialoguing system, which really was built around understanding people's brains. So before they even start talking about issues, you have them laughing mm-hmm. with each other, at each other, at themselves. You know, I j- it would be a different kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It all makes so much sense, like right. It's so it, it's so logical. But we we are, I think, so attached to our points of view, 
our emotions, that part. Actually, my therapist told me, I, uh, I, therapy has changed my life. I talk about it all the time on the podcast, but she, she actually shared something very similar that like when you get into like an angry state, you need to like go take 10 minutes before you can talk to anybody about what you're angry about, because exactly what you said, you're not going to get anywhere positive if you're coming at it through that place. So it is, it's so fascinating. And again, it, it's great. We're having this conversation. So more people and the message that you're sharing with the world through conscious ish, um, so that people can really get it and understand and then do better themselves. So with that, can you tell us, and you have touched on it, what is conscious ish and what have you created? Yeah. So the conscious ish show is a, is a beautiful experiment in can we use entertainment as a vehicle for like not enlightenment but but for insight Mm. you know most of american entertainment centers around a drama cycle or fear or you know you watch you watch most shows and it's it's literally just people yelling at each other yeah (laughs) and the trouble with this is that you know we're we're monkeys so we have we have our brains are developed to look at whoever's held up in society to be the winners and to mirror them and to and to replicate them and to and so when you have highly dysfunctional role models through you know mass media you have a highly dysfunctional society mm-hmm. so the dream with the consciousness show is you know it's it's a this is the first season we're filming now it's akin to like the daily show or the late night show it's that style where you know it's, it's a mixture of comedy and interviews and it kind of reports on the real world but instead of being news or hollywood we're looking at like the topics are you know everything from uh, like like sex, food as medicine, lucid dreaming, uh, depression, self love. You know, so really diving into into areas of life that's like the common human experience. But the point is to be primarily entertaining. You know, it's primarily that people will watch it because it's kind of fun, and you know it's not preachy. The idea being that like you you just you plant the seed or you crack the seed open in people. Like it's like Shakti Park. Just like <laughs> make that open up and, and give the possibility if people want to for, for them to explore it. Yeah. Um, and you're the vision that, you know, the, this, this, the show right now we're filming, we film in front of live audiences. So it's a studio show. It's, re- it's really fun. It's, it's, it's really about making something that's very serious normally into something that's, we can laugh at ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, especially in the personal growth, spirituality world where we're trying so hard, yeah. you know, and then when we fail, like we have a bad day, we feel terrible. Yeah. I always say like, sometimes I wake up, I'm like, I don't want to be spiritual today. Right. Yeah. Like, today I want to eat Cheetos and watch reality TV yeah. and be mean to my husband. Like this, yeah. I have those days where I just, I'm like sick of working on myself and it's really hard to admit that in circles. And so like, I, I just love, I love doing that. I love kind of being like, we can be really epic and working ourselves and own that we're in process yeah Yeah. no I love actually I love that about it because we often find especially now that we're traveling and kind of diving into um wellness communities across the country like we just did an event in Philadelphia that we were a part of which let me tell you is vastly different and eye-opening compared to that of Los Angeles right and it's just like the idea that people take we all take ourselves so seriously and these topics so seriously because they are serious topics but I think being able to I think you you touched on it when you can laugh at yourself mm-hmm. and have just a levity and and a sense of humor about it all um it it does it takes the pressure off of the process and it also 
you know, it also, it gives a perspective to like, yes, it's really important work, but that doesn't make anybody who's in that field better than anybody else. Totally. Yeah. I also think it makes it so much more accessible, right? Because it, it can be so, in, wellness is so intimidating or so. There's so much terminology. Yeah. <laughs> or even so privileged, right? Like Absolutely. the knowledge yeah, very inaccessible and very privileged. And I think coming at it through an entertaining, comedic way does make it more accessible to everyone to be less scared to try it or try something or learn something or watch something. I think comedy, you know, the we're, there's a beautiful, like, comedy revolution happening now. Like, comedians used to be, you know, self-identified drunks and dysfunctional. That was, like, the whole shtick. Yeah. But if you look at all the young comedians who are crushing it right now, like Hassan Minaj, Trevor yes. Noah, Eliza Schlesinger, they're all people that you're like, I'd love to be like them. They've got yeah. their lives together and they and what they're funny because they're insightful. They're not knocking people down. They're not even being self deprecating. Like we're bored of that. Yeah. Like show us a better way. And so I think that's the, you know, the revolution of comedy is that it's it's moving away from just like punchlines and shtick and people are, are really it's a way to talk about stuff like which what it used to be. And so I think, you know, what what it gives us is the gift of solidarity. When a comedian gets up or anybody gets up and says, here's the way that I struggle with stuff and they're honest and they're vulnerable and they and they show that, everyone else gets to go, oh, me too. You know, like we can yeah. really acknowledge that. That's literally what the Me Too movement was. It was solidarity, right? Yeah. And I think that's the goal is like so many of us are struggling with, with stuff that, uh, in the personal growth world might seem basic. So like self-love, like, yeah, we should love ourselves. Great. And we can like think that's a basic thing. But you go out into the world and, you know, you read the studies. They're doing these amazing studies on like on self-esteem and self-worth. And it's life transforming. Yeah. And it's simple. But 90% of people have never been given permission to like like themselves, yeah. mm-hmm. support themselves, be kind to themselves. Like that's just not part of you know, anything that was ever, you know, put into their consciousness. And so I just feel like, you know, we, we, you're right. It's a privileged, personal growth is a privileged arena. And I think part of privilege is that you, you're, you just be hardcore about how you share it way beyond the boundaries of the people who are looking for it. And that takes, you know, that takes lateral thinking. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly that. That's why we do the show. No, exactly. And because it is, I think, you know, it's a whole conversation, but again, what you're doing, making it accessible through something that everybody enjoys, right? Laughter. There's no one in this world who does not enjoy laughing and then can feel safe because it doesn't feel safe. Like you're saying, like, yes, all wellness preaches is self-love and self-care and meditation, right? But that's really hard for a lot of people and they could feel totally left out. Especially when you watch people. Like I, rem- I remember the first time I was meditating and I'm like looking around everybody else and they're like, ah, an inner peace, perfect Buddha. Yeah. And I'm having this horrible experience. I'm sitting there going like, everything hurts. My mind won't shut up. I'm a piece of shit. Like round, 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 round. And I look at everyone else and it intimidated me. Yeah. And, you know, and no one, no one afterwards shared like, well, I really struggled with this. Or, there was nothing like that. You know? Ab- absolutely. <laughs> and I think even, you know, back to what we talked about in the beginning about food, right? Like w- even just the opportunity, like, I think it's so known now, right? Like people know what they should eat and shouldn't eat, but people don't have access, right? To eat a certain way or 
you know, for so many reasons, be it where they live, be it finances, et cetera, et cetera. And so I can't even imagine, I mean, even in my own, my own personal life and in my own story with the way I grew up, it could be so intimidating to even want to learn about it because you feel so shut out by the community because you can't eat organic all the time or your only grocery store doesn't even have real food options all the time. So again, comedy laughter, it it opens a door to, I think a lot of people who could feel like that door has been shut for them. For sure. And I think, you know, when it comes to, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really tough one because often we're trapped in our communities and if the people around us make fun of us or discourage us, if we try to eat well and they're like being picky, Mm -hmm. you know, they tease us for it. Or like we try to start practicing self-love. Like, that's a hard conversation to have with your colleagues. So you're right. not talking you know, about self-love around the water, water cooler. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, a big part of it is, is you're right. Like, I think being in a good community of people who can support you, but to make that leap, I just, I think the more we can show the struggle, yeah, the more we can share that, the more we're offering an in for people. Because yes. we're like, you don't have to come do this perfectly. Like, we suck. I'm always like, I'm the worst spiritual person ever. Yeah. You know, I try real hard. Like I'm like I'm like I get an A for like showing up and, and trying. I get like a I get like a C for 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 being like super spiritual, right? Yeah. But I laugh at myself for it. And I always yeah. go, you know what? I love you for trying. Yeah. I love that you care. I love that even when you, you really drop the ball yeah. and you do something stupid or mean or whatever, that you you pick the ball up and go, Okay, how do I make this right again? You know? Right. Um so I was going to ask you, we ask all of our guests as we, as we are talking about this like self-love concept, what are your now in your, in your daily practices? What are your self-care? What are your self-care practices? Do you have <laughs> a routine? Do you, yes. you know, are there things that are non-negotiables for you? I always laugh because I'm always like, I was, you know, self-care routines are like the bomb. But if I was to do everything I wanted to do, like my self-care routine would start in the morning <laughs> and then by the time I finish the morning, it's already the afternoon, it's time for the afternoon. Like you could take all day, all day, right? And it can be so overwhelming. Like how am I supposed to do juicing and yoga and meditation and journaling? And like, so I, I have have experimented with pretty much everything you could try. Like I'm, I'm a personal growth junkie. I have done and tried so many things. Um, so I meditate twice a day. I do a very simple kind of uh, transcendental meditation style, which is built for householders. So it's built for people who are, who have accepted that they're probably not going to become monks. I own that. I did yeah. Vipassana for a while and I was like, this is, no, I like champagne too much for yeah. this. This is never going to work <laughs> out. We broke up. Um, loved Vipassana because it really got me, you know, into something, but it was not the right fit for me. And, but so do TM, that's so 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. Uh, I do something called an alkajizer. This is from a health perspective. It, it's just a, big green blended smoothie uh and and that is a godsend for me because busy traveling Mm -hmm. really hard to eat enough vegetables in america (laughs) so make that every morning and just like three glasses of that down um and and but and then for me i'm a big lucid dreamer so lucid dreaming is is my spiritual practice and it is it's such a hard thing to explain to people but it's the most profound thing i've ever done in my life it, it was what, I had a crippling fear of death. It was very, that's how I ended up getting into it. I was so, I, I couldn't sleep at night. I'm like, <gasps> and eventually um, I found it. So, it. so lucid dreaming 
dream yoga. It's what the Tibetans have done for centuries mm-hmm. and for millennia to prepare for death. It's their death practice. Um, and learning how to stay conscious in your dreams, learning how to... So lucid dreaming, just as a quick... It's, it's literally the ability to recognize your dreaming in the dream state. And then you learn how to stabilize the dream. Then you do spiritual work in your dream. I, it's You literally shift into an alternative reality every night and you can do practice. Now, Tibetans say that it's it's seven times more powerful to do spiritual practice in the lucid dreaming state because you go straight into into delta. No, gamma. It's a gamma, gamma right? Wave, yeah. yeah. You're straight into gamma when you're, when you're in lucid dreaming. Um, so that to me, like I have a dream date every week. I try, you know, I do my lucid dreaming practice, which is a day, it's a day practice and a night practice. So it kind of consumes in terms of the spirituality. And then just stuff like weight training. Like I think, you know, learning about physical stuff. I hate exercise. I really, I'm like that person who's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I have, I have, I'm I'm insulin resistant, resistant, which means I'll never get fat. Uh So I'm like, you know, it's, it's, I'm not motivated by like, oh, keep slim. But, you know, doing the research on your brain, brain health, uh, you know, keeping muscle as you get older, which is super important for Mm -hmm. your, for, for uh, longevity, doing uh, weight training and strength training is, is amazing. So I've been doing that with a trainer for the last, you know, six months and it's been amazing. And then just in terms of mood elevation, like how it affects your hormones. And this is where like, you know, this is where I really, I really do say like it, it goes both ways. Like your physiology affects your emotional world, your emotional world affects your physiology and you kind of have to take care of both. Right. So I try, I try to do both. Um, yeah. And then the biggest thing for me is, is honestly is, is, this is going to sound so cheesy. I just hate, I hate that when it's like live your purpose. But for me, if I'm not creating something meaningful or participating in something meaningful, whether it's a family, whether it's like mm-hmm. really being part of a family network and showing up and loving each other. Uh, my family's all over the world. So unfortunately that option isn't really open to me right now, but like doing the show, writing stand up, whatever it is, if I don't have something that is, is feeds my meaning of life, I tend to be in the sort of the depressive range of personalities. So I, I know to take care of my emotional health, I need to be challenging myself, creating something. Otherwise, I kind of slip into feeling li- into like futility. Yeah. If you ever feel like you have uh, sort of a creative stagnation or block or anything like that, is there something you do to sort of um, jolt that process? I get so grumpy. I'm like the <laughs> worst person to be. Like I, you know, it's a you know when you know th- about yourself I was like, I get, I'm the worst person to be around when I'm stuck like that because it's you have like like you have an angry lens when you're angry you have like a depressive lens where like everything sucks yeah so what I do is it's like it's a pattern break that's why stand-up is great if I do open mics for a few nights in a row I'm out yeah. because it's like there's nothing like doing something which really challenges you which is which like you have to be completely present for mm. um so, so I'll just, I'll usually just force myself to do something that gets me out of my head, that gets me creating. I, th- I think the biggest issue we have, everyone's creative in their own way, but we have such high expectations of what we're going to create. Yeah. Like we, we put this pressure on ourselves, like I'm going to spend an hour one week doing something, but it's going to be amazing. <laughs> and then we're so freaked out because like that's not how it works, right? And so I just have like really low standards. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> for my and like having low standards is the best yeah, when yeah. it comes to creativity. I, I think so too. Yeah. I was gonna say, well, that's something that we learned creating the podcast even. Because like we just did it. It wasn't good. It wasn't perfect in the beginning. Like it's not even it, nothing's perfect, but it wasn't refined in any way. And we we allowed ourselves to do that 
as we went. Totally. And it's one of the first things I feel like I've ever given myself permission to do in that way, especially as an artist or a performer. You know, you can go into analysis paralysis if you're creating something of your own and it's like you don't want to put it out until it's perfect. And the reality is that doesn't exist. And you can do work. You can work hard at something and not have to have the product yeah. be what you want it to be before you start sharing it. I, I, I the biggest thing from the teaching, you know, the adrenal failure, I mean, everything in my life is, it was for me, it's been the shift from outcome dependence to process orientation. It's like, it is like wow. the base, most basic stuff. And, you know, there's an amazing woman, Carol Dweck, she talks about, uh, you know, like some people have, so like a fixed identity about how they learn. Some people have like a growth identity. And if you're a high achiever, you're mostly told your whole life, you're really smart, you're really great. So you go, oh, that's who I am. Yeah. So if you find something that's challenging, you go, oh, I guess that's just outside the scope of what's what I can do. Mm-hmm. If you have a growth mindset, you're taught like, I really love how you tried that. I like how, you know, you, you failed it, but then you did this and, and you changed it. If you're rewarded for the process, you come across an object, uh, like an obstacle and you go, oh, I wonder how I can fix it. I wonder how I can grow around it. And so shifting from me from from the fixed mindset to the growth mindset, you know, like with stand-up is a great example. My success criteria for stand-up is this. Did I write something that I found funny? Did I get up and say that in front of people? Yep, you won. Like, yeehaw. And that's my success criteria. And anytime I I start like being like, but did they laugh? How, How much did they laugh? You know, I, I totally trip myself up yeah. every single time. And so the finding ways, in, whether it's at work or even in relationships, like deciding on what process is, is meaningful for you and making your success criteria around how you approach and how you perform the process changes everything. Yeah. Wow. So much good advice. <laughs> um, as we wrap up every episode, we always ask our guest um, if they have a book any sort of book recommendation that has been influential to you throughout this journey that you described. It doesn't have to be a health and wellness book. It could, but just any book that throughout the journey you just described has impacted you. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, that's a really hard question for me because I'm such a book nerd. Yeah. Like love books. It, no, I was just going to say it can be one, two, and it, it again, it could be like a novel that you really enjoyed reading. It doesn't have to be I know it's a heavy question for a lot of our guests. Like, so just books. one, just <laughs> one. It's like, it's like, what's your favorite movie? Lion King, Lion King. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so for me, one of, one of the books that I f- just really is an antidote for the culture that we live in is called The Great Work of Your Life by Stephen Cope. And I love that book because he talks about a concept called the right-sized life. And I think most of us are brought up to be like, if we're not famous and rich and beautiful, mm-hmm. that's not, you're not living a meaningful life. If, you haven't, if you're not number one in your field, you haven't made it. And he really talks about, he, he, it really parallels the Bhagavad Gita and really the idea of like, how do you live your dharma? Mm-hmm. And, but done in a beautiful way. And like, so that, that book really moved me from this kind of like, f- always this feeling of inadequacy or like I wasn't doing well enough to really being far more interested in what is a good fit for me? What would a meaningful life for this particular human who is me be? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a question that, you know, really helps people we haven't really had a chance to ask. Yeah. Because yeah. it's so personalized. And we're not, we're, we're not given a personalized model of success yet. So and that one, yeah, was a huge that's one. That's a good one. And maybe we'll be able to link that in our show notes too if anyone's interested. Highly recommend it. Also, and then the other side of it is like I'm a huge fan of stoicism. 
um, the Stoics get a bad rap. They say, you know, if you're a Stoic, Stoicism is uh, just, in a, you know, it's a very old philosophical kind of sort of set of ideas, but it really does come down to a sense of like radical accountability for your own internal well-being, uh, how you react to things, a deep sense of gratitude by really getting the impermanence of life. And so I'm a big fan of that. Um, a good book on that is called The Good, A Guide to the Good Life. It's interesting. Uh, it comes up with a few of our guests, Stoicism, and I'd never heard of it before. But now many of our guests have mentioned it. Actually, I really if you if you like want to do Stoicism light, uh, the Daily Stoic. I think it's a website you can subscribe to them. They they send daily emails with like amazing little wisdom write ups from okay. different Stoic philosophers, which is really great. Yeah. So any of our listeners who are interested in finding you, following you on the interwebs, um, finding Conscious-ish and, and your content and your yeah. comedy, where can they find you? Absolutely. So the conscious show is, you know, it's launching November. Until then, you can sign up so we can send you the episodes. It's just www.consciousish.com. Okay. We're Conscious-ish. And then you can find us, you know, Instagram. I'm, you know, MyMiaLux and then it's just conscious-ish for the show. So Great. super easy. Connect with us. It's The show is completely free. The whole point of this is literally just like create something, share it with the world, create a proof of concept, and then go mainstream. That's the idea. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining Thanks us for today. Having we me. really so appreciate fun, guys. you. You guys are amazing. Fun. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch through our website, www.courageouswellnesspodcast.com. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.